Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Kendrick. I'm the pastor here, and as we were celebrating technology working, I learned something about communication. It's a two-way street, so you got the, the people giving, and then you got the people receiving, and apparently it wasn't working on the receiving end. But um, Tim, are we good now? Everything's good? So welcome to us that are joining us online. It is good to see you guys. Um, gosh, there's a lot of things i got to organize up here. Usually not this many things. But good morning. We are about to start 50 days in Genesis. We are going to walk through Genesis for the next 50 days. I want to encourage you to read, okay, homework assignment, one chapter of Genesis each day for the next 50 days. Each day for the next 50 days. Take four or five minutes out of your day. You can read it. You can listen to it on a Bible app. You can actually watch it because we're going to have videos, 50 days of people from our church and friends of our church that are going to be reading a chapter. We'll be posting that on our social media. I I promise you, it'll be an amazing time as we gather and as we read and as we study Genesis together as a church family. So I just want to encourage you uh, to make that commitment now. Just now say, I'm going to make the commitment to read through Genesis. One chapter, 50 days. Uh, You could do it. It'll be a great time. I am just so excited to see how God's going to work through not just my heart, not just your hearts as individuals, but as our heart as a church as we study this word together. Um, On Sundays, so it's going to be seven Sundays, the next seven Sundays, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at Jesus in Genesis. So we're going to take those Sundays and we're going to look at spots and what you just read or what you're going to read that week and we're going to be looking at how that points us to Jesus. So you need to stay up on your reading or else you'll be lost on Sunday morning. Now they tell pastors not to say that because what people will do instead of staying caught up, they just won't come to church on Sunday. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Come to church. You can always catch up. Right? Come and worship with us on Sunday. So why don't you go right now and go ahead and open up your Bibles to the first book in the Bible. Go ahead and open up to Genesis. Right, this is the first book of the Bible. It lays out the foundation for God's relationship to his creation, God's relationship to his world. Right? It is the beginning of the story of the gospel, right? creation, fall, and redemption. It starts here in Genesis as we read this. Right? And the author will intend for us, for us as the readers, to connect with each story that we read, to connect with the sadness to connect with the brokenness, to connect with the human wickedness that we will read. But most importantly, it wants us to connect with God's promise of grace. So as we read that, do not lose focus of that. When we read this story, we're going to read the story of the good world made by a great God. We're going to read the story of how the stain of sin affects everything. But we'll also read how the story of God, how he intends to reverse every single one of those effects. We'll read the story of how our lives are connected to one another, the story of how our lives are connected to his creation, his world, but most importantly, we'll read of the story of how our lives are dependent upon his grace. All of these stories are founded in Genesis. All these stories are founded with the words, in the beginning, and that's where we're going to start today. Genesis chapter 1 is an example of just beautiful Hebrew poetry. And while the time gap between its original writing and now 
and maybe even the translation from Hebrew to our English may cloud the full beauty, this is still a beautiful text to read, right? In reading this, we can still understand the content of the passage and the intent of the author. They're both very easily recognizable in this, in this poem. And as we read through this, it's very important that you understand the structure of this poem. You'll find out that there's actually two very distinct structures. This may surprise some of you. My wife is fully aware of this. I am not a language person. I am not a literature person, not a poetry person. After Roses are Red, Violets are Blue, it's above my knowledge of any type of poem. But I did spend time in the Marine Corps. And what they taught me is if I don't understand something, just break out the colors. And I'm serious. If you look at this picture, this is my Bible. It's a little bit hard to see. I thought it would be better. But you can see I started using colors to understand this poem and this poetry. And I use one color for things that are connected. I use another color to talk about what God felt about them. And as I start coloring them with my pens, it starts to come alive in my understanding of this scripture. All right, so let me give you a hint, since you probably don't have your crayons with you, you don't carry them in your pocket like I do, let me give you a hint of some things to look for. It's found in the second verse of Genesis 1. It says, the earth was without form and void. And for the rest of the chapter, we see God form and fill the universe. And it was good. Right? He formed and he filled, and it was good. So let us start day one together. You get a freebie today because it's the first day of this kickoff. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter one. If you'll just follow along with me uh, in your Bibles. Just in case my eyes go bad, I did set my glasses over there because there's a lot of reading. But we're going to read beginning in verse one. And so I want to encourage you guys to read with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanses of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness, darkness. and God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanses of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creepy things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over everything creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Amen. So what we get when we read from this is that in six days, the heavens and the earth was formed and filled both with all of God's creation. And what do we know? It was good. Right? It was good. And we have to be careful that when we're reading this, we don't make our own assumptions, things that aren't in there. We don't make them inerrant because we like them or it fits nicely into what we think. We can't let them distract us from the content that is in there or from the intent that the author had for writing the passage. Why did the Holy Spirit say, hey, this is going to be the first chapter of my love letter to you? A couple of years ago, there was this national televised debate between two very, very famous scientists. And one was arguing for new earth. And one was arguing for the old earth. And I have a friend that was at the church that we went to, and he was a um, NASA material physicist. I'm not sure exactly what that is, but he was way smarter than I am, right? And he studied, like he was a NASA rocket scientist. He studied things going in space, and he studied all of this stuff. And I remember I asked him, I said, hey, are you going to watch the debate Right, for finally, after 6,000 years of fighting about it, we were going to figure out if the earth was new or old because these two guys were going to work it out for us. And I was so excited. I remember I asked, Jim, are you going to go? And he, he just looked at me. And remember, he knows these guys. He has pictures with these guys. These guys were his friends. And his quote was, how are those two idiots going to debate a topic they know so little about for two hours? I was like, what? Like, these are scientists that have given their life work to this 
And this guy's like, they're a bunch of idiots, right? These were nationally known scientists. I know nothing about science, and I knew who these two guys were. And this other guy says, they don't know anything about the origins of the universe. So, since I do remember nothing from college or high school, I'm not even sure if I took a science class in college. I'm sure I did because I had to. I don't remember anything. All right, so I'm going to leave that discussion to the, the other guys, right? I'm not going to say that because I'm sure they're great people, but they can argue about that and they can debate that for all that they want. But this morning, we're going to look at the focus of the intent of this passage. We're going to look at what the author is trying to say. We're going to look at the theological implications of why Genesis 1 is in the Bible. And there's something extremely important that we need to take from this passage There's something that as we read this, it needs to sit in our heart, not just this morning, not just for the 50 days that we're reading Genesis, but for the rest of your lives. That this is is the beginning, but in the beginning, it provides us the hope for the future, right? This is the beginning, but in the beginning, we are given the hope that is found in the end. All right, so let's go ahead and look at this passage. There's a couple things that we just need to look at that I want to just draw your attention to. And the first thing was is that Jesus was there, right? Jesus created. And in this passage, there are several places that we see Jesus was not only present, but he was active in creation, right? And there's Hebrew scholars and the- Protestant theologian, theologians and Catholic theologians, you know, different faith backgrounds that debate the singular and plural of some of these words of we see God and they go back and forth on what exactly they mean, but all of them, and when I say all of them, how about I say most of them? There's always one, you guys know that, there's always one. Most of them agree, and, most, and some of them aren't happy about it, but they agree that in Genesis 1.26, when it reads this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It is a plural use of the Hebrew word for let us make in our image. There are multiple persons there that that's what they are referring to so there's multiple persons at creation and when we look in the new testament john tells us that jesus was there right john tells us that nothing was made without jesus right so jesus was there nothing was made without jesus and then we see in paul in his letter to the church in Colossae, he tells us um, that jesus was with the father in creation if you go to the book of colossians in one um Chapter 1, verse 16, 17 says, For by him all things were created, it's referring to Jesus, and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We see that Jesus Christ is Lord of creation. Jesus is the Lord, the maker, and the upholder of everything in the universe. We see here in Genesis 1 that Jesus opens the doors to new creation. He opens the doors to a world without sin or death or evil. The first two chapters in Genesis is before the fall. Right? Evil hasn't come in yet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, on Tuesday you're going to read Genesis 3. That's where everything goes downhill. But the first two chapters we see life before the fall. And Jesus, the creator, is the king over all of his creation. He has made everything well, and he has chosen humans to be his image bearers on earth, to to reflect who he is. They were created to live 
in relationship with him. As humans, we were created to be in relationship with the heavenly father. And we see that in the first two chapters. Right? We read that Adam was walking with him in the garden. And God says, it was good. So we know that Jesus was part there. He was part of creation. But don't miss this important part. God delighted in creation. Right? God wasn't just like so-so with it. He, didn't, he wasn't not, not interested. He was interested. He saw creation. He said, it is good. Right, when you go through Genesis 1, count the times. I'm not going to give you the answer. Count the times, how many times during creation God says, man, it is good. Man, and this is a holy God. He's not saying, oh, it's good like you would tell your mother-in-law about dinner. She's sitting right here. I can say that, right? <laughs> You're not saying that. This is God, holy, no blemish, no error. And he looks at his creation and says, man, it is good. And God rejoiced in the work because it was a perfect reflection, a perfect expression of his glory. God spoke creation into existence and in praising God for his law. We see that King David, he references God's spoken creation and declares his glory as David was giving praise to God. He sang this song, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. As David was there, as he was looking at creation, he gave glory to his father. He said, look at these things and it proclaims your glory. And so after this creative grace that God did, after he poured out his grace uh, and forming the earth, right after spilling the seas, after molding the, the mountains, after painting the fields with lilies and vegetation, right after filling the sky with stars above and seas with land animals or with, with fish and the land with land animals, and then he created the crown of his creation, he created humanity in his image. After all of this, God delighted. God looked at all of his creation and said, it is good. It is very good. All of creation declares the glory of God. And it was good. And God delighted in his glory as it was being perfectly reflected back to him as sin hadn't entered the world. God rejoices at, at the glory that is before him. There is something called the Westminster, Westminster Catechism. is written hundreds of years ago. But it's a teaching tool to disciple young people and new believers in Jesus. What it means to follow Jesus. It's a list of questions and it gives answers. And it's to help you memorize and to understand and to know the truths found in Scripture. The very first question. It's kind of a thick book. The very first question, what is the chief and highest end of man? Man's chief, this is the answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever, right? We were created to glorify God and there before sin entered the world into creation, we reflected God's glory. We were created to glorify God, and he delights in that. I want you to keep that in mind, because oftentimes when we read this passage, oftentimes we talk about the Garden of Eden, we start to daydream about what once was. Man, I wish I was there. We think of the beauty of the creation, the relationship that Adam had with God. Right? How many of you wish you could go back to creation and see God's beauty without sin? 
How many of you sit in your room or maybe go to your quiet spot and read and say, man, I wish I had a relationship with God that was not marred by sin. I wish I had a perfect relationship. And we often imagine what it must have been like for Adam as he walked with God in the garden. And we quick to say, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> you know, that'll never work. Right, I know for us, our family, we love being in God's creation. We love being in the outdoors. We love going to Lake Tahoe. Just last Thanksgiving, we had the opportunity to go to a friend's house that had a cabin and just get lost in God's creation. You can show this picture up there. This is just amazing. And I would sit up there each morning. That's where I did my prayer time. That's where I did my quiet time. Before anybody else woke up, I would just sit and marvel at God's creation. As I read his word and I was surrounded by his creation, I would just be lost in his glory. Right? You can't look at that and not be amazed. Right? And I found myself comparing it to the garden that I was reading about and I would just be amazed that God's glory shined so brightly through all of his creation. I wish I could be there. I wish I could see God's creation without the stain of sin. I wish I could see that tree that, that God sh- spoke with his, his voice, right? And that Jesus may be pruned. I don't know. I don't know how. I wasn't there. I'm curious to know how that looked like, though. But I would I, I just get lost in that. Can you picture being in the garden? No shame. No fear. No hopelessness. What would that be like, right? What would that be like? Well, God knows, right? Jesus knows. Jesus was there, and, and God was there, and guess what? They delighted in it. Man, and our God is sovereign. And our God remembers the day when his creation reflected his glory perfectly without blemish, and he found joy in it, right? He knows what creation straight from his mouth looks like. He knows what the galaxies, right? He knows what the grass, he knows what the butterfly all look like without the stain of sin on them. And he delighted in them, right? He was good. And we know through scripture that one day he will restore everything back to its original reflection of glory. Right, that through his son Jesus, who was active in creation, right? Jesus was there, he knows what it looks like. He's not just trying to think of what his father says and then do something close. Jesus was there. He knows what creation was. He knows what that relationship was. He knows all of that. And we know through scripture that he is going to restore everything back to what it once was. That the end will be just like the beginning. That at the end of time when Jesus comes back and restores and reconciles Everything that happened in chapter three, we, those that know Jesus, that follow Jesus, will be in that garden, will experience that garden. Listen to what Paul writes as he concludes that letter that we read from earlier in Colossians. If we keep going, if we start in verse um, 18, Paul continues. He says this, and he, and we're still talking about Jesus, he is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is around forever. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Right? We know that Jesus 
is the Lord of creation. We also know that Jesus is the Lord of redemption. That he is the Lord of reconciliation, right? Christ is the head of the church and he has accomplished the work on the cross. The work to be reconciled, right? The reconciliation of the cross is done. And by the cross, God reconciled, right? He restored all things back to him. So what it means is that through Jesus, we'll experience his creation in all its glory and reflect his glory. And as we rejoice, right, once we are reconciled, once we are back to the way things are, once things are restored, we will rejoice and God will delight. Right, God will see us rejoicing. Just like when he looks down at us worshiping, what does he say? Man, it is good. Right, there will be a day when there's no sin, when we will be gathered together, we will be worshiping, singing holy, 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 and God will sit above in his throne and say, it is good. It is very good. God promises that through his son, we will experience Genesis chapter one. Right, we don't have to say, oh man, I missed that, I never know what it's gonna be. Because we read chapter one, and as we look at it, we say, oh, I wish I was there. Jesus says, you will. Right, you will be there, you will walk there one day, you will see life before sin. And just so you don't think I'm lying to you, because that would be really bad, let's flip to the end. Right, open your Bible, let's go to the last book, let's go to Revelation. Turn to the end of the Bible, right? So we were just in the beginning. Now we're going to the end. And I'm gonna read just a series of verses as we talk about this new world. We talk about this new earth, this new heaven, this new earth. And John wrote this, and so John says this. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Right? There will be a day when we are walking in the garden, and we will be with God. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is Jesus on the throne. Write these things down. Jesus is trustworthy and true. And he said to me, John said that, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then skip ahead to Revelation 21. We're going to start in uh, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare drool, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Verse 23, and then the the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22, verse 2 goes, Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his face will be on their foreheads. His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. We're at the end of the book. And as we read that, it looks like the beginning of the book. Right? It looks like Genesis. Genesis 1 is what we'll be looking at. So Genesis 1, in the beginning, was the end. Right? There is our hope. We don't have to think, oh, that's never going to happen. I'm not going to go. No, when we know Jesus, we know that is the hope that is to come. Right? In Genesis, this next 50 days, you're going to be amazed. If you've never re- read Genesis, you're going to be amazed at the brokenness, right? the heartache, the abandonment, the loss. You're going to be amazed as you read some of the worst family tragedies of God's people. Unfortunately, when we look through it, those are the parts of Genesis that we'll relate to most. We'll we'll relate to the brokenness, the wickedness, the sadness, the pain, much more than we relate to the Garden of Eden. Much more than we relate to the first chapters. We will relate to like chapters 3 through 50. But we know how it ends. Right, we know how it ends, and it ends just as it began here in chapter 1. And just as you read Genesis and you see all the dysfunctions in the lives of Adam and Eve and all the, the patriarchs that we think were like inerrant, right? And then we see them mess up and we say, oh, I know how this ends. I've read this story before. I know that Sarah has a child. I know that Isaac walks down the hill with his dad. I know that Jacob finally gets the right girl. I know that Joseph doesn't die when abandoned by his brothers, And just as you know the end of each of those stories, Genesis 1 shows us the end to a much, much bigger story. That through Jesus, we will walk through the garden in an unfiltered glory of God one day. That no matter what we are facing right now, or no matter what we are dealing with right now, no matter what brokenness we are dealing with, no matter the hurt that we have caused others or that they have caused us, the the confusion and the frustration that we live in day by day and day, we know that one day, and one day soon, we will be in the garden with God, and it will be good. We will be in the garden with God, and it will be very good. For some of us, Genesis 1 is nothing more than a a movie trailer. It's asking you to come and to see. Come and see. See what, what it's like with Jesus. We know that life has thrown everything at you. Right? And the life that most of us face, they didn't stop with the kitchen sink. It threw the bathroom sink at us. It threw the deep deep sink from our neighbor's house at us. And we think, man, is this all there is to offer? Is this all that life is coming out to be? And Genesis 1 says, no, 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 Let me show you the garden. Right, let me show you Jesus. Let me show you life in Christ. And some of you need to say, ah, 
I want to experience that life in Christ. Some of you say, I want to follow Jesus. And I just want to encourage you just to take a moment. Right? Just take a moment and tell God, man, that, that you've done your share of things not to care for that original garden. Right? No one in here is without sin. And just acknowledge, man, I haven't done my share to protect that garden. I've made mistakes and I've walked away from God. Just admit it to him. But then also say, man, I want to be in your garden. I want to reflect your glory forever and ever and ever. Say, man, I want to follow Jesus as we walk to that garden, as we walk into that kingdom. Man, if you've never done that, if you've been trying to figure out life, here we have life's purpose, to be in relationship with God in the Garden of Eden for eternity, in the new Jerusalem. Man, if you've never done that, come see me, see Tim. We don't say anything special. We're just going to tell you to pray and talk to God because we can't do anything. God does it all. Right, but we want to celebrate with you. Man, we want to celebrate with you. And if you've never done that, please come and see us. That's the person next to you. Put him on the spot. Say, I want to be with you in the garden. Let's talk about it. And then for others of us, Genesis 1 is really the last 10 minutes of the movie. Right? It's where everything is coming together, the conclusion. Everything is coming together, and it pushes us. We're like, oh, I just want to skip to the end. I just want to be there now. It's like after we watched Karate Kid and after the movie's over, we begged our parents to go sign us up for ninja school because if I could learn the crane kick, people would like me. I would have friends. I'd get the girl at the end of the movie. Right? And we see the whole story played out. We say, man, I just got to learn the crane kick. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, but (laughs) let let me tell you, younger people, Cobra Kai wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Karate Kid. Right, that wouldn't even be a show anymore. But Genesis 1, it allows us to see the end. And we can remember the times that we were in our quiet time. When we're in God's creation, maybe we just had a glimpse of what it was like to walk with God in his glory. And our hearts desire to be there again and again and again. And to experience that fullness of his glory. And Genesis 1 reminds us of what is to come. Genesis 1 reminds us of the end and it encourages us, right? That we have tested God's will and it is good. It's acceptable, right? And it's perfect. And we just want to be in that relationship with God. And as we read Genesis, man, we desire to be there and to reflect his glory. We desire to, to be there and to be with God. And as we read the beginning, right, as we start today, and as we read the beginning with the end in mind we have to know that things will be good right as we worship with God as we see God things will not just be good God will delight in it and in the end things will be very good dear heavenly father we just we just thank you for your word and as we open up the the Bible, and as we start today, as we start going through the first book, the first chapter of the Bible today, that we'd be able to read that no matter what we are going through, no matter what life is thrown at us, we would re- be reminded of your holiness and of your perfection and of your glory. And Lord, that as we seek these things and as we tell people, as we tell others, oh, don't worry, God's got it under control. Oh, don't worry, things will be fine. Lord, we just pray that our own hearts would find comfort in what is to come in the new heavens and the new Jerusalem. Lord, we just pray that our own hearts would seek to be in the garden. 
that our own hearts would seek to be in relationship with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the hope that your word provides. We thank you for the life that your son gives. Lord, we just pray that as we study this word, you would grab our hearts and you would transform us. That we would be more like you each and every day of these 50 days that we study your word together as a church. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your son's precious and holy name. We ask all of these things. Amen.